0: Alright, continuing once again tonight in Revelation chapter 13, we're looking at uh, verses 1 through 10 with the beast out of the sea. Now, last week we saw the rise of the Antichrist proper, where in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems, and on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast and they worshipped the dragon. For he had given his authority to the beast and they worship the beast, saying, Who can fight against it? Here we see out of the sea, the tossed up... Miry, foaming sea of the Gentiles. That which is spoken of in Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, where the angel said to me, The waters that you saw, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And out of this frothing mass of Gentile humanity rises this beast. The beast is both a king and his kingdom. Complex system of political alliances that has one consolidating figure and one dominating horn. Anytime you see the archetypes of the Antichrist and his kingdom rise throughout history, whether it be in the Babylonians, whether it be in the Medo Persian Empire, whether it be in Alexander's Greece, or the division that comes thereafter, whether it be the Romans, whether it be the Third Reich, you always see the same formula being applied. It is a conglomerate empire of all of the worst of men that are alive at the time being headed up and brought together by a central charismatic figure that no one else can fill their shoes. And it's exactly what you see here. The greatest hits of lawlessness. A little bit of what was in Babylon, and a little bit of what was in Persia, and a little bit of what was in Greece, and a little bit of what was in Rome 1.0 in order to bring about Rome 2.0. The beast is described as what it's like, but what it is, is a beast like no other. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, the prophet says that after this I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stomped what was left with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. The reason it's different is is because the source of its power is not simply at this point, generally speaking, the power of this present darkness, but instead is the power of the dragon in its midst himself. He gives his power to this kingdom. Because he is its king. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 3 through 4, we see the mortal wound. If you go back to Daniel in chapters 9 through 12 and follow the narrative of the rise of the Antichrist, what you see on the front end is the most evil human that has ever lived, but that's about as far as it goes. He rises to power with intrigue and flattery. Once seizing power, he becomes one of the most violent, bloody men that the world has ever known. But in his rise to power, he often takes defeat as as much as he takes victory. It's a very convincing part of the lie. Contrary to what you would see in popular culture movies about the apocalypse, the fact of the matter is, is the Antichrist does not bust on the scene like the proverbial rock star. As a matter of fact, his rise to power looks a lot more like Adolf Hitler's. There's a lot of ups and downs in the beginning. All the way up until he takes the mortal wound. And while what you read in the English in chapter 13 would seem to indicate that he took a wound that could have killed him, but somehow miraculously didn't, the result of this event is that it convinces the whole world to marvel and believe that he indeed is God. And the reason for the apparent disparity between the events and the effect is because the event is not being well translated. We saw last week that really the King James of all the major translations, the King James grabs it the best when he says, I saw one of its heads, as it were, wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered at the beast. The King James gets the first half of the verse right. It doesn't really get the second half. It translates the, the word here as deadly as an adjective, but it's not an adjective in the Greek. It's a noun. It's not a deadly wound. It's a womb of death. If you wanted to translate it just raw, right out of the text, it would read like this, And one of heads its as slaughtered to death, and a wound of death of its was healed. And the blow delivered to one of the beast's heads, the blow delivered to the Antichrist, is not simply a wound that should have killed, it's a wound that did kill. He lays dead on the battlefield, right up until the point that Michael throws Satan out of heaven. At that point, the dragon gives his power to the beast, literally, physically present. And what you see for the next three and a half years is the son of perdition, is the fullness of the coming of lawlessness. We ended last week with a summation from Daniel to Revelation, and this is where we'll dig in tonight. The Antichrist, initially king of the Syrian quadrant, the northern quadrant of the former Greek Empire in Daniel 11, will rise to prominence. And upon being expelled from heaven, Satan, or the great dragon of old, will indwell the body of the Antichrist, recently killed in the battle with Kittim in Daniel chapter 9, verses 29 through 35, thus bringing forth the Antichrist proper, the restrainer that's spoken of in Thessalonians, is removed. Satan is peeled from in front of the throne forcefully by Michael and his angels and he's cast to earth and heaven rejoices and earth woes because the devil has come down to you in great anger because his time is short. Having indwelled the world leader, Satan will now fully commit his power and authority to this kingdom of men of which he is the physical, political, and spiritual head. With the spectacle of his resurrection as the cornerstone of the deception that he indeed is God incarnate. And all of this having, thus having occurred, we see the actions that he takes in verse five through ten where John continues and says, the beast was given a, a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed, and I think that's, a, I think that's a incredibly... Man, that so much turns on that one statement. It was allowed. Now, on the front end of this, when you read what he is going to be allowed to do, that seems to be very discouraging, and this kind of goes back to a Romans 9 kind of thing, and, and, and creatures that think that they can contend with their God want to start you know, asking the question, well, should you allow that, and is that good that that would be allowed? Because what's coming next is really ugly stuff. Okay, that really only applies to the vacuum of foresight when you're looking at these events before they happen. Let me tell you something. When this stuff goes down, if you happen to be one of the saints that is living through what's going to happen to this, that word aloud is the sweetest word in Revelation chapter 13. Because what that tells you, even in the midst of great travail, is that this whole thing, as nasty as it is, is being controlled. It is limited. There is an extent to His power. God will only let Him go so far. And therefore, one of these days, it is going to end. And when it does, it will end well. It may be tough at the moment, but buddy, there is hope in allowed. And so here He is. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority For 42 months, the allowance has its limits. Praise God. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of The sayings. He is allowed. He is by definition limited. He may be the highest order of creation that has ever existed. You may have the two sentient image bearers together in an alliance called lawlessness in an attempt to overthrow their creator. It will fail. As nasty as it is, it has its end predetermined. 42 months, 1260 days, three and a half years, or a time's time and half a time, depending on where you reach to out of Daniel or out of Matthew or out of the Revelation for this 42 months, for these 1260 days. He speaks haughty and blasphemous words. Based off the reference to his authority, this particular blasphemy is clearly that he claims to be God. That he claims to be the Messiah. After all, what we see here is always mimetic. Somebody asked me last week what that means. It means one that mimics. It's based off of something else. He's always a counterfeit. He doesn't have an original thought. His his thoughts are always based around becoming something that already exists. And so, you see play out throughout his career all of the major events that you see play out in the career of Christ except for turned absolutely on their head The evil negative, and this is why they call him the Antichrist, the evil negative of the righteous reality. Jesus was accused of the same thing. Jesus was innocent, he is guilty. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 57 through 68, speaking of Jesus being tried. Before Caiaphas and the council, it says, Those who had seized Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none. And though many false witnesses came forward... At the last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do you need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. And they spit in his face and struck him and some slapped him saying prophesy to us you Christ who is it that struck you the reality is is Jesus was falsely accused for his claim to deity that was true whereas the antichrist will make the claim to deity and not be accused whereas the high priest sought false witnesses to come against Christ they will have no problem finding false witnesses that won't come against the antichrist but instead will come for Him and on His behalf. He utters haughty words and blasphemies that slander God's positional glory, the glory of who God is. This was all foretold. In Daniel chapter 7, and verse 25, probably the most apt description of the career of the Antichrist says that He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into His hand for a time, times, and half a time. This is the 42 months that is being spoken of here in Revelation chapter 13. Notice, as Toby tells us, that doctrine determines doxology. And... Doctrine also determines activity. So here you have one who sees fit to speak against the Most High. And having spoken against the Most High, he then feels confident in moving forward to act against the decrees of the Most High. So he will seek to wear out the saints The saints that are the very people of God that have been bought by the blood of Christ, set apart unto Him, He will seek to destroy. He seeks to change the set times. It is the right of the sovereign. It is the right of deity to ordain the times of destiny for His creation. And the Lord has said, here's what it's going to look like. It's going to be for 42 months. They'll be handed over your hand. And at the end of the 42 months comes the reckoning. But He seeks to change the time always wants to add <clears throat> Satan contrary once again and contrary to popular belief sure. Satan is not to want he does not want to rush this thing along he's doing everything he can to woe it up which is why when he's cast out of heaven he's so angry because he knows it means his time is short oh he's insane but he's not stupid just a little more time I can get it figured out just a little more time I can that I'm just I'm this close. He comes against the saints and intends to undo God's sovereign will with His people. He comes against the set times and t- attempts to undo God's sovereign will in proclaiming destiny. He comes against the law and attempts to come and undo God's sovereign will in His justice and the standard of righteousness and yet in all of these things He will fail he speaks words against the most high much like a junior high bully or a politician he will attempt to bolster his own position by slandering his opponent. and the world is in such a state that even in the midst of this they are willing to worship him for it for they have been given a strong delusion the world does that but not the saints the saints are different. Man, as we've been reminded every single morning on Sundays when we go through the, 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 the review of where we've been so far in Romans, we always get to that point where we go, look, man, you were saved for a purpose. The men are enslaved to something. Yeah, and in two verses, back to back, Romans 9, eight and Romans 9, nine, the natural man cannot please God, but you are the new creation. The natural man is enslaved to himself, the new creation is enslaved to a God of righteousness and peace. And so in Daniel chapter seven, verse twenty one through twenty-two, Daniel says, As I look, the horn made war on the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. We're back to this whole idea of they were he was allowed, and the allowance has boundaries. And it's for 42 months or 1,260 days or three and a half years or time time and half a time. And yes, He makes war on them, but thank God it's a war that was allowed and therefore it has a beginning and it has an end and He did prevail over them all the way up to the point that the Ancient of Days come and judgment was given not for Him but for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And even though they are being literally overrun Literally overrun. I mean, we'll, we, we'll see here in a couple of weeks. I mean, you got demons crawling over the walls. Even though they are being literally over, overrun, the conquering that is allowed to come on them is only physical and never spiritual. And when you're talking about a kingdom that is based on the spirit and that the true worshipers of God worship in spirit and truth, then, quite frankly, in the grand scheme of things, as hard as it's going to be at the moment, and I don't want to to, to act like that—you know—torture and suffering and death at the hand of the Antichrist is not a big deal because it's obviously a big deal. But the fact of the matter is, it is temporal and transient, which is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, "A man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to get to, to gain what he cannot lose." Yes, they are—they are, they are run roughshod over but they are run roughshod over physically only. Their conquering is never spiritual. Man, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth shall worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now, what he's saying next is, he says everybody that's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, they're going to worship it. Now, you guys whose name are written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, you're not going to worship it. Now, you may go to prison or you may get run through with a sword. You may suffer physical defeat. You may be overcome physically. You will not be overcome spiritually. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 32-33, through 33, One of the most profound statements. I mean, it's just incredible in the book of Daniel. He shall seduce, this being the Antichrist, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Man, there's a group of people, particularly Jews that's being spoken of here, that think they understand the covenant of God. These are the people that Paul is weeping over in Revelation chapter 9 and 10. He, as he man, I weep over my brothers. Man, they've got this law, but they don't have any kind of intimacy of salvation. They've got a, a law that they're approaching by works instead of a law that, that, that is designed to be approached by faith. And because of that, they're lost, and his heart breaks for them. But man, they think they've got something that they don't have. There's nothing more dangerous than thinking you have a spiritual reality that you actually don't have. And so these he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action and the wise, the mescaline. Those that are wise, why? Because they know their God. And know, wisdom comes with knowledge. and You can be wise and not have a lot of knowledge, but man, you know, knowledge, knowledge to the wise is like, you know, knowledge to the wise is like nails in the nail gun. Knowledge to the wise is like a sharp chain on the chainsaw. <laughs> It's the thing that lets you take the wisdom and apply it to something. And these people are wise, and the reason they're wise is because they know something, and what they know is who their God actually is. And because they know who their God actually is, when this counterfeit stands up and says, See, rose again on the third day. I must be the Messiah. Y'all put an end to sacrifice and offering. I'm going to go sit down in the temple and begin to reign. Those that know their God know that's not Him. they go nope because they know their god they know that their god is not coming out of syria they know that when their god comes to reign in that temple he will come by splitting the eastern sky and coming on the clouds of power with great glory they know he'll have a sharp two-edged sword that proceeds from his mouth to lay to derision his enemies They know that he won't try to change the set times in the law and come against the saints, but instead he will save his saints, he will uphold his set times, and he will demand his law. But he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action, and the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by the sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. Guys, I mean, there is a million reasons, a million reasons why we should do everything we can to know as much about our God as as He has given us to know. I mean, just, you know, we we could spend our whole life listing why it's good to know the things that God has told us about Himself, and we would never get to the end of the list. But in that list somewhere, somewhere in that list, is, man, there's coming a day when there's going to be a really, really good counterfeit. So good, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 that if it was not for the specific miraculous sustaining action of God even the elect would be deceived. So here you see that specific miraculous sustaining action that keeps them from being deceived, that keeps them in knowing their God. Friends, man, one of one of the one of, the, one of a great reason to know as much about God as he tells us in his word is so that when the fake shows up, we know the difference. You know? You talk to, if you, if you, if you watch a documentary, oh, it's been a couple years ago, about um, the Secret Service, and not in their work uh, pertaining to the president, but in their work pertaining to uh, counterfeiting. And when they really, when they're teaching those guys, especially early on, how to spot the fakes, they don't teach them about the fake. They, sh- they have them study the real ones. Because if you really get the real one ingrained in your mind, the fake becomes easy to spot. We must endure. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who is slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear Man, that's, that's a very angelic turn of the phrase to be like, listen. <laughs> if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. So hear, 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 hear what m- may be the reality. It may not. May not be the reality for you. May not be the reality for me. Um, You know? Man, if there was ever a guy who would have liked to have gone down swinging just like it's spoken right here, it was Butch Bean. He would have ate it up, man. Been right in his wheelhouse. (laughs) Died his living room. It may not be you. It may not be me. But it might. As a matter of fact, statistically speaking, when you look at the number of saints that have already come and gone, the likelihood is that for most saints, that won't be them. But it could have been for any of them. For any of them. Here's a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. And Scripture says that we should all be prepared for this, even if it is not the will of God that it should particularly fall on me or you. Because while here we see the ultimate expression of what suffering for Christ looks like, this is not binary theology. This is not open switch, closed switch, ones or zeros, suffer or not. As a matter of fact, the mystery of lawlessness, Paul says, is already well at work. John says exactly the same thing, and so does the Apostle Peter. That it is in our midst, and that many Antichrists, little a, plural, have come, and the Antichrist will come. This is not the only event. As a matter of fact, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, and said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It may not be to captivity you go. It may not be with the sword that you will be slain. But if you are desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, there will be some meaningful way at some point in your life when you are persecuted for it. And just like we see with Christ, and just like we've seen historically throughout the age of the church for the last 2,000 years, a lot of times the people that are persecuting you for holding true to the faith are people that claim to be Jews or people that claim to be Christians. Such is the nature of lawlessness. Man, in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, Paul said, If children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. Or as Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, The one who endures to the end will be saved. Anyone who has an ear, let him hear. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. And if you're prepared for this, be prepared for anything the wise know their God he's given us all that we need for godliness oh it's only a drop in the bucket of who he actually is but it's all the stuff that we need to know for this life until we see him face to face he's given us all we need so that we know him so we know the counterfeit when we see it So that we are those who are able to endure. Pray that we endure in the small things. So that if he happened to ask the big thing of us, we would be able to show ourselves faithful there as well. Because he's not done. This is the rising of the first beast, the second beast is coming. And he exists to do one thing, and that's to throw gasoline on the fire of the first beast. Keith, why don't you pray for us, man?